you hear a lot of marketers say things like, well, you know, if it's a good product and you're manipulating people into doing it, you know, you're doing the world a service. I'm like, I don't know. Because that's a slippery slope. Like, who gets to be the judge on what's ethical and what's not ethical? And I feel like if I'm manipulating somebody into doing something, I would rather present them an idea and they get to make the decision on their own. Welcome to the Grounded Content Podcast. I'm your host, Marion Abrams. Have you seen those videos for True Earth detergents? The laundry detergent that comes in a strip in a cardboard box instead of in a plastic bottle? that's saving the landfills from all of that plastic. The videos have gone viral, and I've seen them in my Facebook feed or on YouTube. They come up from friends or friends of friends sharing them. Well, today's guest on the Grounded Content Podcast is Ryan McKenzie, and he's the CMO of True Earth, the Chief Marketing Officer. We get really specific and tactical about how he deploys those videos, how he designs them, and especially how he puts them out in the world to help ensure and encourage that viral growth and spread that we see. Nothing's as simple as it seems. It's not either organic content or paid strategy. It's all of those together. From the beginning of this podcast, I wanted to have more CMOs on the show. And the reason is that mix of big picture strategy and in the trenches knowledge, right? Because everything we do as a marketer has to be effective. Those of us who are professional content creators, well, someone's paying you to create content because they have a goal, right? Whether it's to sell a product or to sell ads in the content, however that works. So we need to think about being effective. And if you're in the marketing world, effective content is content that down the line sells a product. And so a CMO is held to that standard. They have to measure their success. And it means that you got to drop all the philosophy and BS and actually figure out what works. So what I love about this conversation is that we do get philosophical and we do talk about ethics and we do talk about some of the bigger picture issues that I love to dig into. But we also talk about that in the context of actually making sales of a product. So in this episode, you're going to hear how Ryan thinks about innovating. You're going to hear how he deploys those viral videos that he and the team are creating, how they use ambassadors and advocates, how they seed that viral content with a mix of tactics and strategy. And you're also going to hear how he thinks about the future of this planet and how his product and his marketing strategy relate to that. Now, one more point before we get to the interview. I don't know if you've noticed, this open sounds a little bit different than some of the other opens I've done. So one of the most valuable things that you can have as a creative professional is a good, strong community. And that should include people whose opinions you respect and who are willing to tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it. And so I want to call out two of those people who... I've both been on the podcast, and that's Rich Cardona and Mappy Davis. They're both professional podcasters. In fact, they were both on the podcast because they call me out. So both of them, independently and at different times in this podcasting journey, have given me the same feedback. And that is that my Terry Gross voice at the beginning, that smooth, soft voice that I had been working on and so proud of, it just didn't match the feel of the rest of the interviews. So I'm really trying to get that casual feeling in today's open 
to really talk directly to you, the listener. Let me know if I succeeded or if I even should succeed. Maybe you love that flowing, smooth, soothing voice that I usually have and you find this one annoying and grating. I'd love to know. All right, now to Ryan McKenzie. So Ryan McKenzie, welcome to the show. I appreciate you joining me on Grounded Content. And you are the co-founder and the CMO of True Earth. So just before we dig into all the marketing stuff that we're going to talk about, what is True Earth? True Earth at its core is essentially a movement against plastic waste in the home. What we're famous for is this laundry detergent strip, which replaces your traditional liquid or powdered laundry detergent or pods. And they're pre-measured and they weigh about 1.7 to 2 grams in comparison to 35 to 40 for liquid, 35 to 40 for powder, and about 25 for a pod. And the big thing for us, our big mission, again, is eliminating plastic. There's about 700 million plastic laundry jugs per year that end up in landfills. And our mission was originally to eliminate those, but it's now expanded into other products in the household as well. So you're the co-founder, but you're also the CMO, and that's really what we want to dig into. So working with an innovative and a mission-driven company, do you find that those things carry over into how you develop your marketing? Is it as mission-driven in its structure and as innovative? Obviously, we try to be innovative and we try to do things that help promote the brand in the most efficient way possible. And some of those things wind up, I guess, being innovative, but a lot of it stems more from just trying to be efficient and trying to find new ways to get to that next level. Because how you get from zero to a million dollars in revenue is different from how you get from zero to $10 million. And from 10 to 20 is different from 20 to 50. So there's a lot of innovation due to necessity because we're constantly learning and evolving and trying to be the best version of ourselves. Innovation for the sake of innovation is a waste of time, right? Innovation because you have a problem you need to solve and you need to find something new to handle that problem, that's real innovation that makes sense. Your best known thing is the funny videos that you've been doing. So how much of that was sort of a gut thing and how much of that is tactical? Like when you design those videos, are you really thinking about who your audience avatar is and how you're going to use those to get organic traction or paid traction? Or are you kind of thinking like, this is a funny video, let's see what happens? Yeah, that's a really good question. So historically, you know, up until a few years ago, I wasn't very focused on any video. Any of the direct response ads I was doing were typically focused on images. So whether it was display or Facebook ads or print that was static. Originally, I didn't have a very good grasp of what elements inside of a video ad made a video ad successful. And I'm like one of those people that needs to understand why things work in order to be able to do them. Like I was terrible at math in high school because they don't teach you the guts of why the math works. So how I got to the point where we launched a funny video is I'm like, okay, well, I know this is kind of tactical, but I'm going to take Harmon Brothers course and I'm just going to understand the insides out of how they see video as a means to promote a brand or promote a product or primarily direct response mechanism so that you can actually see a return on your investment. And I went through the program. It was really great. It was really short, which is awesome. But I decided that I was going to try to produce a video that wasn't funny. I would just use their framework. And the video actually worked really well. So the elements that they described in the training really helped me to understand the fundamentals of funny, or sorry, not funny, of uh, direct response videos. And after I did one, my hypothesis was that like for our space, environmentalism is generally very boring. And most people don't listen when people tell them what to do 
because they feel like they're being spoken down to or scolded or whatever. People don't respond well to being told to change in a way that causes dissonance inside themselves. So the hypothesis was that if we can inject entertainment into education, then we can broaden our avatar and we'll be able to convert people who probably have never really had a good experience being educated on the implications of their behaviors. And so that was the hypothesis. And I mean, that first video, I want to say it's had like 60 or 70 million views now. So I mean, not everything that I do works. I've struck out a lot of times too. But that one definitely was a grand slam, if we're going to use a baseball analogy. And that's kind of what I described there with the logic behind why it's valuable is that I think there's actually a lot of opportunity in a lot of stuffy markets to de-stuffify the market and create some entertainment value so that you can pull new blood into the market. Was that a battle you had to fight or because you're a co-founder, were you able to have the freedom to just say, I think we need to try this? Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky in that sense. I pretty much have autonomy in that like you know, there's certain things that we all kind of review. And, and honestly, like there's a little part of me that was concerned about are the people who are very deep in that vertical or like deep in that space going to be offended that we're simplifying the message. And the truth is, in order for us to be successful in creating the change that we want, it's not that segment of the audience that we need to convert. It's the rest of the people that are really the people that need to make the change. And with the funny videos, you upset somebody with just about everything. Like somebody was upset about the Real Housewives comment. We had witches that were emailing us and saying like, how dare you throw water on a witch? There's real witches. You know, I apologize, but I don't really know what to say. I'm going to upset somebody with everything. And that's kind of been the case. Somebody always finds a reason to get upset, but that's life in 2021. It's funny to say that because, you know, looking at least at the videos that I've seen, they seem so innocuous and sort of light and funny. So of that first one, you said you've had like 60 or 7 million views. Are those primarily on YouTube? Are they Facebook? Where do you get the most traction? I would say like Facebook probably has the best platform for creating virality. I don't know. Is that even a word? I don't even know. But it's just so easy to share. It's so easy for people to make a comment. Where like YouTube, all the tools are kind of tucked away. YouTube's primarily focused on keeping people watching more video. But I'm guessing that probably 70% of them are on Facebook and maybe 20% on YouTube. And then other places like Snapchat and TikTok and other places as well. But Facebook's definitely number one. So when you're hoping a video is going to take off and get that kind of organic growth and spread... Do you seed it? Do you do some paid stuff to get that going? Do you have ambassadors that start to share it? We do a number of things. First of all, we seed it to our email list, our customers and our non-customers. We're going to run it as an ad. But when we seed the piece of content to our list first, the social proof in the comments is just like mind boggling. Like we'll get like thousands of comments and then they share it and they like it and everything as well. Once that's done, we put it up as a Facebook ad. We don't just target new customers. We'll also target existing customers. They love the content. They're like our advocates. They're much more likely to share it. So would you say you're almost targeting your existing customers because you trust that that will kind of get an amplification effect rather than trying to convert them and get them to buy, right? Yeah, we'll do $100,000 in revenue just from our existing customers just by sending them a video in one day, which is great. But that's not really like the intent, but it happens. 
But yeah, it's to get the ball rolling. We only release one of these every couple of months. So it's almost kind of like a new season of your favorite show comes out. And maybe it's not their favorite show, but it's a show they might like. And so when they come out, people are pretty quick to jump on it. But that's not all we do. We also send it to our ambassadors and we ask them to share it, tag people, share it on WhatsApp. I know a few people that are kind of like in the Facebook page influencer space, kind of a weird one, less common than maybe three or four years ago. But it's fairly inexpensive if you have connections to get your post seated on some pages. So we'll get that pushed out there. Typically, I definitely noticed that you want to avoid using the actual ad because the reach winds up kind of getting compressed a little bit. So if your video has legs, then ideally you give the influencers one that doesn't have a link in it or it has one in the description instead of being an ad post. We push it to YouTube. We send a message to our SMS list. We have an SMS list in Canada and the US. I love this list because I think people have an idea that it's one or the other. I think a lot of marketing departments have this idea that you're either doing organic content and they're just crossing their fingers and hoping it goes viral or they're doing some kind of paid strategy. And it sounds like you really need to do a hybrid. Yeah, I think people that think that you're just going to win with organic, they're probably going to be taking a lot of shots before they score a goal. We do both. You know, at the end of the day, we've already heavily invested in producing the content. So we found that it's worth it for us to spend a lot of money to get them going. Like, you know, if you look at the share to like ratio, it's insane. I think like one in four likes or one in three likes or I don't even know. I just know it's high. They, a lot of people share it. <laughs> that's great. I mean, that's what every brand wants. So what do you think you have? You said it's kind of a stuffy, serious market, but you brought humor to it. You think it's as simple as that? I don't think it's as simple as that. Like your messaging has to make sense and there has to be a demand. People have to be ready. Like if you were to take two products and use the same strategy and one of the product kind of falls into your typical eco-friendly product where most eco-friendly products, as well as the alternative, there's more friction to use them. So they're not as easy to use. It's like, well, you got to take your laundry detergent and you got to like push it through this press. And then you're going to get this stuff on the other side. They're going to mix it in a grinder and you're going to put it through your blender. And then after 15 minutes of scrubbing it on your cheese grater. Have you done this video do yet? Because no, I think no. I, I would share that video. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad idea. I'm like picturing the scientists. Yeah, exactly. So like my point is that the biggest challenge that eco-friendly products typically have is that they're either have lower efficacy or they're harder to use. And we happen to be lucky that we have a product that it's easy to use and it's eco-friendly. So people aren't losing anything to switch. So if somebody else did this exact same thing, but they had that product that I just described, I don't think it would fly. Yeah. I mean, right. It helps to have a great product. I mean, that's what everybody says. And that's true, obviously. And it helps to have a product that people want. You know, we talked about video and the videos are kind of what you guys have become known for. I mean, other than the product, obviously, as a CMO, how do you look at the video in terms of your whole overall strategy? So essentially, they fit in our editorial calendar. They're a key component to customer growth. The customer journey is very like acquire customers, maximize the value of customers, acquire customers, maximize the value of customers. There's more components to it than that. But if I was to simplify the entire business down to those two things, it would be one of our larger tactics in the acquire customers portion of the business. Like we do other things like other e-commerce companies do like giveaways and we produce an insane amount of content and we're looking for other pieces that can do as well. And every once in a while we find them, but basically it's like, those are our, our large 
new customer acquisition drivers. And then they're a major part of that cycle, but they're not the only component. So do you differentiate between a content team and like a marketing team? Yeah, yeah, we do for sure. So we do produce a lot of positive story content for social media. So if you look at like Instagram or Facebook, you'll notice that like probably 75% of our content is talking about other companies, other people, people that are doing good things. And like, we're just really about trying to be positive in a space that primarily filled with negativity. So that content isn't really intended to like drive sales. That content is intended to educate people and to make people feel like we're not living in a world full of fear. Because for me, when we started this, I had a lot of like parental anxiety about the future of the world for my children. And I was scared about overpopulation and I was scared of like running out of food to feed everybody and climate change and all these different things. And I was kind of getting tired of like virtue signaling and reading all this negative noise. So for me, the messaging is almost like, hey, you know what? Yes, the world is not in a perfect place, but here's examples of leadership where people are doing good things and making small changes that lead to big impact. Like our motto is little hinges swing big doors. And I am of the mind that you need to lead by example and not by telling people what to do. If you want somebody else to change, you need to demonstrate the behavior that they need to do in a way that is going to make them want to like copy, but be like you. And I don't think that comes from shaming. And I think that comes from enlightening people and giving them examples. It's not just big companies that need to change. It's everybody that needs to change. People can vote with their dollars. And if you don't buy those products, those big companies are going to have to switch to something different. They're going to have to switch to like recycled cardboard or compostable stuff. And that's what that content's for. It's to make people demonstrate what can be done. I mean, certainly as a parent, I think that makes total sense to me. And so most of us either are in fear or in denial about some of these things. And I think that is really an outstanding thing about the way that product is presented. Just even in the sort of the imagery, the colors are bright, the photos are white and bright and happy and give people kind of a positive, really easy way to have a positive impact. That makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's funny because the first question I asked you, and we didn't really know each other that well, so you were probably like, what is she talking about? But it was, is the way that you market your product sort of mission-driven in the way that your product is? And it sounds like it is. I mean, it sounds like you are doing, for example, what you're doing on Instagram isn't just about effectively marketing your product. It's also about having a positive impact, just like the product is, right? Totally. Yeah. Like we're trying to address other things too, like intersectional environmentalism, which is tied to racism and how people who might not have the means or are struggling wind up suffering the most from the effects of climate change or pollution or whatever. And it's bred from the way that we feel about what needs to happen with the world. Like we used to have, we still have it. It's called Environment 911. We had this blog that Brad, Kevin and I had started Um, Before we even had a business together, actually, like back in 2012, and it was kind of the idea of his kids. And we were trying to get people to contribute content to this platform to help effectively change people's views on environmentalism. So it's not like this is just something that like popped up and we're trying to take advantage of the climate, (laughs) the climate (laughs) dad joke. But, you know, for me, again, I had a lot of anxiety. And it's, it's funny, as soon as I got past just talking about it and actually doing something, And this is really the same for like any anxiety. Like when I get nervous or anxious about something, if I actually just go and 
knock a few things off my list, I feel so much better about myself. And this was the same with this. As soon as we started doing this and we could measure the change that our community was having, I felt this like weight come off my shoulder. And, you know, humans, when you group together, can do amazing things. And doesn't mean that one person needs to carry the entire world on their shoulders. It just means like if everybody can just reach down to the ground and pick up a piece of garbage, like if everybody did that, there would be a peck of a lot cleaner earth. And I mean, that's not what I'm trying to promote, like go pick up garbage, but that is a great thing to do. But that's just a terrible analogy that I made up on the spot here. (laughs) No, but I mean, it's almost like, again, the way that you're selling your product and the product that you're selling really reflects kind of that internal dialogue you have because you felt better when you have something you can check off your list and your customers can sort of like easily feel better because they can use this product that it's not really any effort, but they feel like they're doing something. And kind of my whole premise on this podcast is that, you know, I think a lot of people have this idea that to sell and to market, it's sort of like a dog eat dog thing and that your ethics go out the window. Your job is to sell. And that the difference between an ethical marketer and an unethical marketer is whether the product is ethical. But I actually think that the way you sell it can be unethical or can be like crossing some lines about like manipulation versus persuasion, even if it's a good product. Yeah, I was literally thinking about that on my drive here today, like some of the greasy tactics that people use to trick people into purchasing or like to manipulate them into like get out their credit card. That was a like an ethics conversation I was having with myself on the way here. We don't do those things, but like I've been presented different ideas in the last little while. And I was just thinking like, you hear a lot of marketers say things like, well, you know, if it's a good product and you're manipulating people into doing it, you know, you're doing the world a service. I'm like, I don't know. Cause that's a slippery slope. Like who gets to be the judge on what's ethical and what's not ethical. And I feel like if I'm manipulating somebody into doing something, I would rather present them an idea And they get to make the decision on their own. Like if we're talking hero's journey conversation here, we are the guide. We are not the hero. Our job is to be the conduit so that the hero can make that change, overcome the obstacle and realize the person that they want to be. And our job with this business, I'm kind of getting really serious here, but like our job (laughs) in this business, like we just want to be the guide. We want to give you tools so that you can make changes that help the world, make you feel better about yourself, and are going to give people and people's children a better place to live in the future. And people don't always know what those choices are. We're going to vet them, and we're going to present them to people. And if they feel like that's the change that they feel like making today, that is their prerogative. But there's just some very, very greasy copy tactics that... They're very short-term thinking. You know, they're going to get you some sales today, but they're not going to get you raving fans. They're not going to build an amazing community and they're going to hurt your business in the long run. But if you're in it for the short term, I don't know. I'm not judging, but I sleep better at night knowing that I'm ethical. And the sort of the proof is that what you guys are doing seems to be working. I mean, you mentioned sort of like some of the direct response kind of tactics. Is that the kind of stuff you're talking about? I mean, direct response at the end of the day is just a tool to sell people where you can measure measurable means to purchase it with the intent of getting somebody to buy when you give them whatever form of communication you give them. But I don't necessarily think direct response is bad. I think direct response. No, no, it's not at all. And, you know, I guess that's the question is, is that something you think about? And it is in the way that you market that product. 
So I'll get you unserious now, like out of the out of the deep <laughs> stuff. Although it's kind of it's kind of yeah, it's kind of funny yeah. that the guy who's invited on because he has funny videos. We're getting heavy. I got the Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to be light. <laughs> I can put some sunglasses on too. Here we go. Boom. Now I'm now, now I'm uh, now right. I'm cool. <laughs> now we will never know what's really behind those eyes. So this has been really interesting, and we'll start to kind of wind down. But I have a couple more questions that are still hanging over my head from earlier. You had talked about this idea of editorial content and how you really haven't done much on your own site. Is that a conscious thing to sort of do outbound versus inbound strategy or is it just time? Yeah, it's time to execute and test and validate because as a marketer, every marketer knows there's a lot of shiny things always flying at you. There's a lot of different tactics that everybody's claiming are awesome and it's really easy to get distracted. And like, I am ADD as you can get, trust me. Like I am like constantly thinking of all these different things, but what it comes down to is, do I have the capacity to test this? Can I standardize this procedure so that I can give it to somebody else to do without needing my intuition? And like, if I do, how do I break that down so that I can teach somebody else to do it? And you know, that's probably the hardest part. I mean, whole thing's hard like you how, the whole thing how, is how, hard it's so true yeah i mean even just building the experiment like what does the experiment look like and my business philosophy is if we're going to do this we're going to do it and we're going to figure out a number that defines whether or not this is a success and if it's not a success then what do we need to change and if we can't change or fix it we kill it and so for me i don't really want to half bake do something and there's so many half-baked things that I've started and I didn't finish. And as somebody who is wired neurotically and with ADD, like it bugs me that I have these open loops. So as we get bigger, I just need to be very cognizant of how we approach new things. Anyways, that's a really long way to say we're not doing it right now. And I would like to do it. I just need to figure out a way to effectively test it. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, if the whole inbound idea is sort of shifting, right? Because you have to meet your customers where they are. And the whole idea with inbound really relies on SEO. And like that whole world is really changing, especially with voice assisted search, where the answers are so limited. And with, you know, the fact that there are more and more paid results filling up the top of the feed, I wonder if inbound is even on its way out as a strategy. I don't know for sure. Like SEO has definitely changed, but I think like where there is opportunity to leverage it still is through paid media. So if you look at people's level of awareness, you know, the bottom of the funnel people that have the search intent, like there's only going to be so many of those people. So you can look at content from another lens in that like, okay, how can I use content to create more awareness of the problem and the solution in kind of like a direct response capacity? So there is an opportunity for not necessarily advertorial type content, but like fun, entertaining content that you can place in these social channels, use paid amplification to build your audience, build awareness of the problem and offer a solution all in one. And every piece of content is not going to make you money, but it's the numbers game, you know, testing what works. And then I like to look at the SEO side of things and the inbound side of things as like the icing on the cake. I don't anticipate that that market's going to get bigger and better, but I do like icing on my cake and I'll gladly eat it when it's there. And I just like to treat it like that. So give me my icing, I'll eat it, but I'm going to build the cake first. Perfect. So as we wrap up, if there was one kind of like message for people out there thinking about how they are going to sell their product and how they're going to make these big decisions, is there one piece of kind of advice or surprising thing that you've learned in that journey so far? 
I'm a big advocate for testing everything. Like if you're starting something new, don't build a castle before you've proven that you can build a hut with a cardboard box, you know, like build an offer, put it out there and test it. You can spend years building your castle and then nobody wants to pay the admission to get inside. I'm like a nonstop conversion rate optimizer. I'm always testing something like perpetually. I have like a list of like 20 things to test. So like there's one piece of advice I would get is read Ready, Fire, Aim by Mark Masterson, I think it is. And if you have a business idea or you have an offer idea, put together the offer, test it to paid traffic before you go and like mortgage your house. You don't even have to actually sell the product. You just test it. It's like one of my favorite stories, Tim Ferriss, when he wrote his book, The Five-Hour Workweek or The Four-Hour Workweek or whatever it was. That's how he decided what the book was going to be. He bought Google ads with a whole bunch of different titles and he tested conversions. He didn't have a book yet. He just looked at what people were interested in and then he decided what book to write based on that. It's brilliant, right? Like we actually just did something similar with we're going to be doing some billboard ads. And I told the person, send me all the ads. I'm going to run them as Facebook ads and see which one gets the highest CTR. Like I'm sure there's correlation between getting people's attention on a billboard and having them click on a Facebook ad. Yeah, that's really interesting because you think about the different platforms, you know, the different things will perform well, but I bet you're right. Yeah, I just kind of use it as like, how do you measure attention? And that's like, if there's four ads that all look kind of similar, which one is enticing people to take action. And I think, you know, the hypothesis, it could be completely wrong. Maybe one of the other ones kill it, but that's the only data source I had. So I figured why not give it a shot? And Tim Ferriss, I did read Five Hour Workweek and I do remember reading that and I do remember that idea. And I'm sure that that's been implanted in the seeds of my mind since 2005, but it works. Yeah, I forgot about it until you just were saying that. And just that idea that not only do you sort of use Facebook to test Facebook ads, but you can use Facebook ads or Google ads to test just ideas. Totally. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Why don't you give us the skinny on, you know, how to find your product, how to find out about you? Yeah. So if you want to try True Earth, these wonderful, I'm not here to really pitch it, but you can see this is our product. If you want to try it, you can go to uh, www.tru, there's no E, dot earth, E-A-R-T-H, there's no dot com. So true dot earth. And I'm going to make a coupon code. If anybody is listening, can try it for 10% off with grounded content. 10. That's grounded content 10. And that will get you 10% off your first order. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, if you want to find me, I'm on Facebook quite a bit, but you can probably connect with me on on LinkedIn. You search for my name. You'll probably find me on LinkedIn. There's probably, I'm probably wearing a suit, not a Hawaiian shirt. Maybe you need to change that. Maybe you need to change your, your LinkedIn photo. Oh yeah. I got told I got to wear a suit, but I'm like, I don't wear a suit very often. My uniform is like, denim and like a t-shirt with a pocket like whether white or black so listen i have another interview today for the podcast coincidentally it's a linkedin expert really smart guy and i'm going to ask him whether you should be wearing your hawaiian shirt or whether you should be wearing a suit all right and i'll let you know what he says so about an hour after this interview with ryan mckenzie i had an interview with steve watt he's the marketing director at seismic and he's a LinkedIn expert. So I asked him the question, should Ryan be wearing a suit in his LinkedIn profile picture? And here's what he said. And if you want to hear more from Steve, he's the guest on the next episode. I think it's all about being audience-centric, client-centric, buyer-centric. If you're an investment banker, you should probably be wearing a suit. You know, if you're... (laughs) 
a marketer. I mean, look at me, I'm in a t-shirt with long hair, right? I mean, it's about being true to yourself, but also being true to what makes sense for your audience. And I would not tell a high finance professional or a white shoe law firm lawyer that, you know what you need to, you should grow your hair and put on a t-shirt on LinkedIn. Wrong move, I'm sure. But in other cases, it's the right move. And so you got to be yourself and you've also got to be respectful to the audience that you serve. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Grounded Content Podcast. Here are my takeaways from this episode. Number one, I love talking to Ryan. I love it because he's really focused on being effective in his marketing, but he also wants to make the planet a better place. And unlike some marketers who feel like if the product is good, then anything goes, he's also thinking about how he markets in a way that is good for humanity. Do the means justify the ends? That's the question, right? My other takeaways here are this idea of innovation, that innovation is only relevant when it's solving a problem. I love the idea that Ryan doesn't want to do anything that he doesn't understand why he's doing. So every marketing move he takes, he wants to test, understand, measure, and see the results. And lastly, I think for me, the big takeaway was that there is not really this artificial separation between organic content and paid marketing. They really need to work together to create an effective strategy. So thank you, Ryan, for being on the show. Thank you, Steve, for giving us a little feedback on his suit. Thank you, Matt and Rich, for feedback on my open and close. And thank you especially for listening. And thank you, Chris Zarnock, for editing yet another episode of this show. I'll see you next time.